On this episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents, we do our own stunts. We reach the 80s, and Jackie Chan's first film for Golden Harvest, which had its own share of controversy, is 1980s The Young Master. Welcome to We Do Our Own Stunts, a chronological look at the life and work of martial arts superstar Jackie Chan. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the world's deadliest man, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? You know, Doug, I've been better, but you know, things could be a lot worse. Okay, well, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to dig into that, Liam. That's Instead, fine. Instead, I'm, <laughs> have you been watching martial arts films over the last few months, Liam? Oh, like since the last time we recorded? Yeah. Uh... I have occasionally watched a thing or two, but not regularly. It's and I, that's actually unusual for me, Doug. Like I tend to try to catch stuff uh, pretty regularly, but I, I've, I've had a lot going on, and I can't. I'm trying. So I'm also just stalling right now to try to remember the last thing I watched. Sure, because it's something newer. Have you seen John Wick 4 yet? I did see John Wick 4. I thought that was fun. I think a lot of people liked it more than the other John Wick movies. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the magic trick about John Wick is adding just enough plot that you think there's a plot, even though really the whole thing's just an extended stunt reel. You know, like sure. the plot is someone. But there's still enough plot there that like, and not just plot, I'm being too reductive enough mystery to the plot. There's always a new detail, a new wrinkle. This movie, it was like, nah, you guys get it. You got the world. I don't need to add new shit. It's fine. And uh, I I kind of missed it a teeny bit. Enough that I didn't like the movie? No. But for me, it's not the best one, despite the fact if I was evaluating the movie only on the quality of the stunts, it's clearly the best one. They went fucking crazy on this movie. But I just feel like the story was slightly less compelling than the other movies. Liam, on this episode of We Do Our Own Stunts, we're going to be talking about 1980's The Young Master. Now, on our most recent episode, we discussed the end of Jackie Chan's relationship with Lo Wei. And we didn't we dug into some detail in regards to it, but I really wanted to tell the story a little bit more on this episode because it really does revolve around The Young Master and the start of his relationship with Golden Harvest. Um... Golden Harvest is a company that we've already talked about to some extent or another because Jackie Chan worked for them previously as a stuntman and a stunt coordinator. Uh, in fact, of course, he, he shows up briefly in a few uh, early Bruce Lee movies like uh, The Big Boss and, uh, of course, Enter the Dragon, which actually has a connection to today's movie as well. But before we get into all of that, one thing I like to do at the uh, on, on our most recent episodes is go a little bit ahead and talk about some of the movies that we're going to be covering over the next few episodes, as is per uh, usual as well, we're in a transitionary period here. Not only because of the beginning of the Golden Harvest relationship, but after this movie, The Young Master from 1980, we are going to be moving to the United States of America. Your stomping grounds, Liam, what do you think about that? Pretty excited. Pretty excited. We're going to be talking about the big brawl next on the next episode from 1980, a.k.a. Battle Creek Brawl. Then moving into Liam's favorite, the Cannonball Run from 1981. Then back to Hong Kong for Dragon Lord. Then Fantasy Mission Force, which is an episode I'm very much looking forward to. Fearless Hyena 2, which is going to be sort of a jump back into the low way world. Winners and Sinners, Liam, and then 
Project A. That'll bring us all the way to 1983. So only a few episodes down the line, you know, probably into next year. We're going to hit Project A. Is that something that you're particularly excited, Liam? Because from there, yeah, you know, the very next movie after that is Wheels on Meals. We're only a couple years out from the first police story. And I mean, then things are like, we're, we're kicking into high gear quickly. I mean, I am excited. I think that it's going to be so much... Uh... How do I want to put this? I don't assume all the movies will be good, but they right. will be a whole different kind of thing almost. So there's a part of me that is, I don't know, maybe a little whimsical for the period we've been in where we've been exploring a lot of things that I was unfamiliar with that were kind of new and that were um, different than I expected. And now we're starting to get into the meat of the thing. So I have this strange feeling of being excited but also feeling like this will be the thing that's more familiar to me. Although, to be honest, you know, Project A I've seen. The next movie after Project A, Wheels on Meals, I've never seen. So okay. I think we're already into the section that I think of as familiar. We're pretty quickly hitting things that help me realize I still don't know that much about Jackie Chan. There's also the element that the budgets for these movies are going to be rising significantly and the production values are going to be rising. And right. that also means that the movies can take place in different eras. I mean, I know that it's not really a defined era in a lot of the movies that we've covered so far, but they all have that kind of similar look. Even this one, even though it's the first Golden Harvest one, it, it in terms of the locations, it's a lot of familiar locations, right? You still have the restaurant. You still have the small town square that they go to. Uh, it, 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 it really could take place, you know, anytime between 1700 and, you know, 1920, 1930, it's a little hard to tell, but we're going to be moving into films that take place, you know, in modern day and, and, or um, even in period pieces that are American period pieces with the big brawl. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see Jackie Chan in different contexts. Of course, the fact that this movie looks like some other movies we've already covered is actually by design, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Liam, first, I want to talk about Jackie Chan's introduction, or reintroduction, I should say, to Golden Harvest. Starting with a, uh, a small quote from uh, his most recent book, Never Grow Up. One of the nice things about finally hitting his Golden Harvest period is that that book, Never Grow Up, is finally going to start talking about some of his movies because it is very, it very much glosses over his career up to this point, or at least the, uh, the, the Loewe era of his career. So quoting from the book, It was a very moving experience returning to Golden Harvest. Before this, I'd been hired body in countless films there, and I associated the studio with old friends. When I'd first showed up at Golden Harvest as a kid, I'd risked my life for pennies, quietly waiting to make my mark. I hadn't expected that day to come so soon. My manager, Willie Chan, liked the deal and my prospects at Golden Harvest. He thought he'd be able to build my career to last. The studio heads, Leonard Ho and Raymond Chow, were trustworthy partners who'd be good to work with. For their part, Mr. Ho and Mr. Chow promised to find me a bigger market beyond Hong Kong and Southeast Asia. They hoped to make me an international star, the biggest Chinese icon in the world after Bruce Lee. One of the other kind of notable things about this, Liam, is that Golden Harvest, you know, after the death of Bruce Lee, they had some trouble bouncing back, but then they found new stars to, and in that case, not even uh, martial arts stars necessarily. They had, you know, comedians and things like that, people that they were able to kind of rebuild their reputations through. But as of 1979, 1980, they were all in and with martial arts movies again, and they had already kind of uh, uh, banked in on Sammo Hung, who was directing a number of movies in 1979 and 1980 for them, and Yun Biao, who, of course, we'll see in today's movie. So all the people that um, that 
Jackie Chan sort of cut his teeth with in The Seven Little Fortunes, they're all being brought together. That kind of seems like it's by design, though it's interesting that they put so much money at Jackie Chan specifically. Um, and one of the things it says in this in this piece from Jackie's book is that they basically gave him a blank check. You know, they were like, we are not going to, you know, stand over you and look at your budgets and go over them with a fine tooth comb. We trust you to go out and make the movies that you think we sh you should be making. And it's kind of strange. I don't really entirely understand why they thought he deserved that level of freedom at this point. Any thoughts about that, Liam? I mean, you want to think it's just that they believed in him to some extent, uh, but... Yeah, if I if I was trying to do it in a business or just even like a, a certain kind of uh, harshly logical sense, I'm I'm not sure I understand it. But then again, maybe it's I mean, because I, mean, I was just gonna say maybe the impact of Drunken Master and Snake and the Eagle Shadow was so big we can't even really comprehend. Right? It was such a huge hit. They're like, we got to get on this train because it's headed to the top. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of what I was gonna say is that it's. You know, I can see the Jackie Chan that is now. So to me, give him all the opportunities. However, with the facts on the ground, it's hard to know because, you know, we've talked about both of those films being pretty big. But what does pretty big mean? You know what I mean? Right. I, 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 don't right, right. I don't know. Yeah. And of course, there was no context for really the scope of the movies he was going to make. At this point, what a martial arts movie was, was changing, but it still was kind of in a very defined area. So this is what Mr. Ho from uh, Golden Harvest said to him. He said, we started this company to make money, of course, but I guarantee that as long as you're making films for Golden Harvest, I'll never interfere with your budgets and accounting. You have complete freedom to shoot and produce each picture as you see fit. I won't go through your numbers or limit your production schedule. You just make movies and leave the money side of things to us. And Jackie goes, I was shocked. This was beyond my wildest dreams. Golden Harvest sounded like paradise. Um, and the other thing that is kind of notable about this part of the book, Liam, is something that we haven't really talked about, which is that up to this point, Though Jackie Chan was credited as Jackie Chan, it was spelled J-A-C-K-Y, but uh, the folks at Golden Harvest wanted to change it to J-A-C-K-I-E, which is, of course, how we know Jackie Chan. Uh, and it, it does, it is weird to see the J-A-C-K-Y version of Jackie Chan in the credits, but that's just because we're so aware and, and kind of familiar with that other name. Yeah, I, I, that is kind of strange. I, I've always been confused a little bit by the decisions that people have to make when they are, uh, you know, uh, it's not really translation, but they're uh, communicating their name, which they know in not just a different language, but in a different character set right. into phonetic characters and, in, and try to do it in a way that will communicate probably mostly to English speaking audiences, though not exclusively, you know, mm -hmm. you have to figure out a spelling that will make sense for a variety of people. That seems really difficult, you know, and it's, it's a skill that Americans never have to, you know, how many Americans are thinking, how do you, you know, how am I going to spell my name in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Cantonese, Mandarin, Russian, sure. whatever, whatever mm -hmm. language that uses different characters in a way that will translate and make sense, right? It's not yeah, something yeah, absolutely. About. So this is kind of a big decision to make, but I think it's part of this idea, which is, um, <clears throat> not just for Golden Harvest, but this was part of the business plan for Shaw Brothers too, which is these films are for the diaspora, right? Like mm -hmm. they're not just for Hong Kong or even. Um, the the Pacific region, right? There's always a hope that folks living all across the world who know these movies will be part of the audience, and maybe 
they'll recreate the King Boxer slash Bruce Lee phenomena and break right. through to mm-hmm. not diaspora audiences. Yeah, and there's a clear like plan by Golden Harvest to make him an international star right from the beginning. Right. Which right. I mean, the fact that he had to go to the United States, I mean, they probably were not so hesitant to send him because why not make try to make that work, especially because when he does make the big brawl. That will be directed by the same person who directed Enter the Dragon. Probably all of it seems to make sense uh, in their mind. It, uh, it'll work later. It didn't work that time, as we'll get to. Um, the other thing they wanted, uh, I just want to mention from this particular book, he says, The first movie I made after joining Golden Harvest was The Young Master. I did my very best to make a good film, to repay the trust my two bosses had put in me, and to show the industry that my success wasn't just down to luck. For one scene, I shot more than 50 takes because I had to kick my fan into the air and catch it with one hand, and I wanted that move to be perfect. Every take costs money, but true to their word, they never gave me grief about how much the movie cost to make. And that scene, it was beautiful. It was beautiful, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit when we get to the movie proper. But in terms of the big story of the making of The Young Master, Liam, it's something that we have talked about a little bit on our most recent episode. It is the trouble that Lo Wei uh, caused Jackie for leaving his company. Uh, during the making of The Young Master, there was some odd things that were occurring. A fire got started. Um, there was uh, some vandalism that was occurring. And Jackie was a little bit concerned about it. And uh, it turns out that what happened is that Lowey had gotten involved with some triads, with some gangsters. And uh, he was going to put the squeeze on Jackie. Even though he was well into making The Young Master, he wanted him to come back and work for him instead. So uh, just to, going into that a little bit, at one point... Jackie was leaving the studio, uh, Golden Harvest, and he heard someone yell out his name, and they told him that, they say, you're coming with us, said the thug to his left, we don't want any trouble. I shrugged, I didn't want any trouble either, so I raised my palms to show I'd go peacefully. I wasn't particularly scared, but I was curious. There was only one person who could have arranged this, and if he'd gone to this much effort to bring me to a meeting, I suppose it was in my best interest to play along. I was escorted by the three bully boys to a late model Mercedes whose license plates had been covered with gray gaffer's tape. If I'd had any doubt about what kind of people I was dealing with before, I didn't anymore. The Mercedes pulled up outside of the offices of Low Way Productions, and the three men helped me out of the car and up the stairs. I'm sorry it has to be this way, Jackie, said Low. As I've told you time and again, I think of you as a son, but every so often when a son is disobedient, discipline is necessary. So he says to him, basically... There's kind of vague threats. He has another contract in front of him, uh, this time not as blank as the one that Jackie ridiculously signed before. But basically, it's his, it's his old salary figure. He promises that he, him and Lo Wei uh, will be partners in this new arrangement, that he'll be able to go back to making movies together. And what Jackie ends up agreeing to is that as soon as he's finished um, this film, The Young Master, he's going to go and work for Lo Wei for a single film. And at least, like, at least do that for him to kind of get him off his back. But because he takes so long uh, finishing up the young master, they start leaning on him more and more. So he has to eventually go to his manager, Willie, and say, look, this is what's happening. What can we do to uh, deal with that? I'm just going to jump ahead uh, a little in regards to what Willie says about that. He goes, okay, Jackie, I think we finally have things under control. I lifted my head and groaned. I'd been working double days for a week, editing and looping The Young Master during the day while working on preparations for action movie. This is what he was calling the low-way movie because they didn't have any detail in it. In the evening and at night. I was exhausted. What took you so long? Willie looked irritated. You cannot expect us just to wave a hand and make all the triads in Hong Kong disappear, dear boy. So that wasn't the solution then. Well, what did you do? Willie sat down and lit a cigarette. Okay, we had three problems, correct? I nodded. First, there was finishing Young Master, and you're very close to doing that. 
Then there's the problem with Lo Wei, who still has a contract that says you owe him 10 million Hong Kong dollars, even if you and I know it's a fraud. Let's just say that Raymond has agreed to take care of that. So that's Raymond Chow from Golden Harvest. He's going to pay that to help him out of his contract. Um, lastly, there's the problem with the triads, which is actually our biggest problem, as I'm sure you've noticed. I gave Willie a glare. Yes, I see you have. Well, it seems that someone has volunteered to be a moderator between the various parties involved here, our old friend Jimmy Wang Yu. If you remember, Jimmy was his co-star in Magnificent Bodyguards. He knew Lo, he knew Raymond, he'd been at Golden Harvest for years after leaving Shaw Brothers. Most importantly, he knew the triads. He was based in Taiwan, and there were rumors that he was something of a big man in shadowy operations on that, on that side of the water. So uh, Willie says, Jimmy is going to try to broker a peace agreement between the Sun Yi Ong, that's the triad group we're dealing with, Lo Wei, and Golden Harvest. If he succeeds, we're off the hook. If he fails, it really doesn't matter because you won't be around to find out. And that's when Willie says, Jackie, you're going to be, not dead, you're going to be heading to Hollywood to make some movies there, basically until things cooled off. And Jimmy Wang Yu was able to work out the deal with the triads, which is why... Jackie, for the next uh, decade or so, would uh, appear in some of Jimmy Wang Yu's films, including Fantasy Mission Force Liam, which, again, is a movie that I'm very much looking forward to us talking about in the near future. Uh, when it comes to this story, which has been told many times uh, with certain variations within it, you got to take certain elements of it uh, with a grain of salt. Who knows how completely accurate it is? But I think the, the base of it, like the, the central idea that Jackie was in, in trouble with the triads and needed Jimmy Wang Yu's help to get out of, get out of it was uh, is correct. Any thoughts on that, Liam? I know we've talked about it a little bit before. I mean, I think it adds to the mystery, or maybe not mystery, but sort of the the mystique or the character of Jimmy Wang Yu and and a little bit of Jackie Chan. Uh, uh, though, of course, being the guy who's just sort of being bullied around doesn't make him seem that tough. But it uh -huh. does. But it does sort of make it seem like he overcame something to do what he had to do. And I think that's always been the vibe. You know, I was thinking about this because we discussed in a previous episode the mythology around this statement that he does his own stunts, which is right. both both true and untrue. Right? He does his own stunts, but he doesn't exclusively do his own stunts. Sometimes right. other people help out. And, you know, there's a bit of a, of a legendary status to that. I think this is part of that, right? The idea is I think that that identity is meant to stand in reflection of and opposition to Hollywood. I think that's part of the issue here. And it's not just true here. It's true in a lot of international cinema, especially going into the future, that movies everywhere have to deal with the fact that movies from this one place – seem to dominate the market all over the world, right? Right. And that if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. That's New York, but you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so um, in a sense, the fact that Jackie had to do this, that, and the other just to become who will be, by the time he's telling a story in a book, one of the most successful, popular actors in the world market, that's a, that's a narrative that means something because it sets him apart from a kid who was picked out of a modeling agency book and was in one good role and now gets whatever he or or she for that matter wants right like it's meant to show that what he's accomplished wasn't just luck though there is a lot of luck involved it's partly like facing real danger right mm -hmm. uh and so i think there's a bit of that legend building going on and then of course you know making uh jimmy wang you look like the real hard ass you know the real connected guy that helps him as well i think you know yeah absolutely and of course for those who didn't live through the marketing campaign for rumble in the bronx 
in around the 1993-1994 era. I mean, that was very much based on selling Jackie Chan to the U.S. market. Even though it had already happened several times before, he definitely had a name within a lot of circles. But in terms of the mainstream American marketplace, it was all about saying, this is a guy who does his own stunts. This is a guy who has broken all of these bones. It really was not like, even though it was like an introduction to a lot of people, it was also with the suggestion, oh, he's already been around for a long time and he is a massive star elsewhere. And it was like, it was like an advertising campaign to try to sell Jackie Chan, not just that movie, right? And it worked. I mean, it took a, a little while to kind of, of um, really take hold and allow him to get more Hollywood roles with the where he was respected. But I mean, it, it worked. It was uh... what you are about to see is real. Get ready to rumble! This is Jackie Chan doing his own stunts. No stand-ins, no stuntmen, no computer special effects. Way cool. It was an odd time, especially for people who already were familiar with the work of Jackie Chan, where it was just like, yeah, we know. We know what it's all about. But, I mean, it it's why... Uh, when people might wrinkle a little bit about that he does his own stunts thing, it's just because it was hammered into our brains yeah, again yeah. and again and again. Well, I think it's it's worth keeping in mind, too, how effective, or maybe not effective is the right answer, but how impactful it is to become a kind of you know pop culture icon. Like, think about Bruce Lee, right? For millions of Americans for a long time, martial arts films and Bruce Lee were the same thing. And this is a man who wasn't in that many movies. But he was so important to so many people that, like, even though a movie like King Boxer also did really well in the U.S. market, Bruce Lee became the icon, the, the figure. And I would say now, for younger people, that fucking is Jackie Chan. The number of times I've seen people talk about the kinds of movies they like, and when they say martial arts, they reference Jackie Chan. That's it. Right. Like, mm -hmm. he is the guy, even though, as we know... If you're trying to reference the whole genre, Jackie Chan's a fucking outlier, right? Like, he's not representative of every kind of martial arts movie available, not just historically, but even concurrently with what he was doing. There were people maybe trying to be kind of like him, but, like, there are a lot of movies in the genre that were nothing like Jackie Chan movies. But for our culture, broadly speaking, not movie nerds like us, Jackie Chan is synonymous for people with what it means to be in a martial arts movie. Yeah, and of course what we find, as and as we'll see as we go out throughout the 80s, the thing that will differentiate Jackie Chan as a martial arts performer is that he's able to have those budgets and have those higher production values, right? And it leaves a lot of the imitators in the dust. It's one of the things that's going to be interesting about talking about this movie, The Young Master, which is both a obvious attempt to copy the success of Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master, while also trying to get away from some of that formula because... That those movies were so successful that there were literally hundreds just in the time since they were made up to this point in 1980 of movies that basically follow those formulas exactly, including uh, movies from Sammo Hung and movies from Yun Biao, who you know obviously will be a big part of his career going forward. I want to do one more um, short quote from Jackie Chan Inside the Dragon by Clyde Gentry III about this movie. In the wake of all the seasonal cash-in films that kept chipping away at traditional values, Chan returned to those values, but he has an agenda. He wanted to bring his own choreography talents to classical kung fu sequences, but it was also important to have a story promoting moral values like loyalty, trust, and brotherhood. Chan wanted to stay away from the revenge plots that drove most kung fu films. 
Lo Wei had released two of his earlier films in the midst of Chan's seasonal success, so Chan's popularity was still questionable. Many critics believed that if Young Master didn't make money, Chan's career would be over, which I think is actually an interesting... I don't know if it's if it's 100% accurate, but an interesting addition to what we were just talking about with Golden Harvest and their, their, their kind of promises to him. Hey, Golden Harvest were still the people with the money and the people with the power. If the investment they made in Jackie Chan ended up being a bust right from the beginning, then it's all over. So you can see why he may have wanted to play it safe a little bit with this movie. Um, Liam, we have not talked at, at, at all about what you thought of this movie. So I'm very, very curious about that. Before we take our break, though, I want to know if you have any history with Golden Harvest as a studio. Do you have any films that you associate with it? What do you think about that logo and that music that plays at the beginning of a Golden Harvest movie? I mean, I love it. And it feels very familiar to me, but I'm not good at remembering off the top of my head, like, which were gold. You know what I mean? Like, sure. And that's something I struggle with, with all of the production companies, honestly, with the exception probably of Shaw Brothers, because they so defined a certain time and a certain aesthetic that when a movie that feels like that isn't Shaw Brothers, I'm confused because I just associate it all with Shaw Brothers. I mean, like, Shaw Brothers is a little easy too because they shot all their movies on set. Yeah, so it, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. easier to tell when yeah. something looks Shaw Brother-y. But like, I'm sure if we were to get into the weeds on AIP or even like a more recent one like New Line, there's a million movies that those companies put out that I like, but I don't know off the top of my head I could say this movie. But I, when I think of Golden Harvest, I tend to think less of kung fu and more of like later action kind of movies you right know? later 80s stuff right? yeah and 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 that's unfair because i think they made a lot of of martial arts films but um it's just not the my my memories of them is more not that the, there were always movies that didn't have martial arts a lot of them did but i think of them as martial arts infused action movies that also have car crashes and shootouts and explosions and all all kinds of stuff that isn't isn't um not that it's not part of the genre, but it, it's 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 a later iteration of, of sort of the same kind of thing. It, it's it's a good thing <clears throat> to bring up because just as when people mention the Shaw Brothers films, there was a whole generation of people in the United States who probably, if you heard Shaw Brothers, you thought martial arts movies, even though they made movies of all different genres. And Golden Harvest did probably didn't uh, uh, diversify quite so much, but did the same thing. I mean, we watched in one of our other podcasts, The Boys and Company C, which was a Golden Harvest film they of course also had those agreements um working with uh, different countries we saw them work with hammer studios we saw them work with um the jimmy wang Yu project uh, the 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 man from hong kong the the um uh the australian action movie and and they would do a lot of those kind of of um working all over the world agreements uh, going forward as well at the time that this movie was coming out so 79 80 as i mentioned already they were already investing in Sammo Hung. He made in 79 Warriors 2, The Magnificent Butcher, and Knockabout with uh, Yun Biao. Yun Biao starred in Knockabout, co-stars in today's film as well. And they were working with John Woo with Last Hurrah for Chivalry. And they continue working with all three of them uh, throughout a good chunk of the 1980s and beyond. So it's, you know, they're really kind of laying a foundation for 
not just martial arts movies, uh, but certainly action movies generally with really high level talents. I think they're trying to get together the best of the best, and obviously they had the money to do it. So we're going to be talking a lot about Golden Harvest going forward and their uh, high pitched squeal of a uh, <laughs> song that plays during that opening pit with those blinking lights. It's just something that I, I mean, unlike yourself, Liam, when I see that, all I think about is this particular era of martial arts movies, the Sammo Hung, Yun Biao. Uh, Jackie Chan ones, which is odd because as we've found so far in this podcast, there's a lot of Jackie Chan movies from this era that do not connect to that whatsoever. Liam, it's time to talk about it. Let's take a break. When we return, 1980s, The Young Master. Dragon is useless. It's all his fault. We lost that contest. Master! There was Tiger. He betrayed you. I've got the perfect jump for you. For my brother, Tiger. You! Don't I'm gonna make a deal with Inspector for your release. I've never met Come to take you back to the Inspector. After failing his fellow students in a lion dance competition, Dragon is sent away from his school in disgrace on the condition that he must find his errant brother. Much martial arts mayhem and mistaken identity silliness ensue. It's the young master from 1988, aka Shidu Chuma, which is the original title. I tried to translate this using a translation service. Uh, it translated as junior brother out of the horse. Uh, I did not uh, write that down incorrectly. It says junior brother out of the horse. I'm guessing if that means house, that, uh, that almost uh, makes sense. From Jackie Chan's book, when he describes this film, it says, In this film, which tries to continue in the spirit of the films I did with Yun Wu Ping, I play a young kung fu student who discovers that my martial arts brother, Tiger, is secretly betraying our master. However, when Tiger is framed for a murder he didn't commit, and I get mistaken for Tiger, I'm forced to prove my innocence and his, while at the same time fighting off my would-be captors. This is my first movie for Golden Harvest, so I had to make it better than anything I had done before. I started filming immediately after escaping Lowe's clutches, even before the script was finished, so the film has some continuity problems, but the fighting and humor make up for that. I hope. For the first time, I also sing on the movie's soundtrack, something that I do in most of my later films. The funny thing is that I sang the song for Young Master in English, and back then my English was really terrible. Since then, I've stuck to singing in Chinese. I think my listeners appreciate this decision. Actually, Liam, for the version that we watched, which was the uh, Cantonese version, the song at the end, even though I think was also Jackie Chan, was not sung in English, but in the English dub, it actually has Jackie Chan singing in English in the uh, uh, closing credits. Well, we'll actually put that song at the uh, at the end of this episode as well. This film was released in Hong Kong on February 9th, 1980. There's actually a number of different versions of The Young Master. That U.S. version that I was just talking about the, with the English dub, that actually is uh, a different edit. It actually uh, has three minutes of scenes unique to that version, but it's also shorter generally, including, I think, moving, missing some action sequences. Bay Logan, the uh, disgraced uh, martial arts uh, um, expert, he says that there's a three-hour version 
that existed of the young master. There's also a Taiwanese version that ha- that is is actually available right now that you can see if you know where to look. That actually has a bunch a bunch of alternate scenes as well. I think if you total all of the footage that currently exists and all the different versions together, it just about runs two hours in length, uh, which is still an hour short, of course, of the three hour version. We watched the subtitled 106 minute Chinese version for the purposes of this episode. Uh, and of course, the other thing to note is that the U.S. version has different music. This one that we watched uses a lot of Gustav Holst's "The The Planets" uh, on its soundtrack. Which, when I watch a movie with, we uses that as a soundtrack. I think two things: one, they want to use a lot of public domain music, which makes a lot of sense, and the other is it reminds me of the shot on video work of Todd Sheets, which also tends to use that exact same music. A little bit of trivia about the movie: uh, Jackie Chan was so impressed by the hapkido skills of Huang In Shik, who plays the villain in this film that he ended up taking training in that Korean martial arts soon after this film was finished, and he eventually gained a black belt and would teach his own stuntman, Hapkido, uh, going forward. And uh, as we, we've already talked a little bit about the fan fighting scene, uh, there's been uh, some uh, discrepancies in regards to how many takes it took. Obviously, in his most recent uh, book, he says that it took 50 takes to do the, that fan stunt. We'll talk a little bit about that when we talk to, about our favorite uh, fight scenes in the movie, and also according to his book, Chan nearly suffocated when he injured his throat while performing a stunt. This film was directed by Jackie Chan, written by Jackie Chan, Edward Ting, Lao Tin Chi, and Tung Lu. Jackie Chan stars, of course. We have Yun Biao. Uh, Tin Fing is here. Uh, we'll talk about him in just a little bit as well. A lot of familiar faces all throughout the cast. They obviously were trying to make this uh, <laughs> a movie that, that brought to mind a lot of great kung fu movies of the past. But let's just get into it properly. I'm, I have no idea what you're going to say. What did you think of The Young Master? In the description you just read from Jackie of this movie. He was he, wrong, right? <laughs> he was wrong? What do you mean? Well, he, he said that the guy was framed for murder, but he wasn't, right? That that doesn't happen in the, in the movie. No, no. Well, that, you know what's so funny? I wasn't going to focus on that, but you're right. In, in the same way that um, uh, the description, well, okay, I'll get into that. But sure. l- let me go with what I was going to say. Uh, the other thing he says that is, I think is interesting is that um, he, he describes there being some continuity problems, but the fighting and the humor make up for it. Uh, for me, Doug, the film has not just continuity issues, though, not enough that they really even bothered me. It's more of a tonal thing, right? Like mm. the lion fight is a lot of fun, right? Uh, and it's injected with a lot of humor from Absolutely. Jackie Chan. But the rest of the beginning, none of it really was compelling for me. I was starting to get, honestly, a little bored with the movie and feeling like there was a lot of setup for him just to then, you know, go on this uh, uh, journey to find his uh, lost brother, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And then once the journey starts... I'm in a funny-ass Jackie Chan movie. And it really started to feel like these were two different fucking movies. And that's not to say that the intro is dour, right? It's not so serious like there's blood everywhere and we have to get vengeance. But it just doesn't have, for me, the same spirit of fun and caricature. It has a, a, a... Though it does have a few funny moments here and there, it has a bit more of like a serious tone... Until he starts to deal with this, you know, mistaken identity, which is not that big a mistake. Basically, his brother, in order to make it, falls in with some criminals and they free a a criminal who's so dangerous he's been strapped to a fucking cart 
and yep. they free him. And for some reason, everyone forgets everybody who was there, even though they're all very distinct, except for <laughs> the guy with the white fan. Side note, is a white fan that rare that you could describe a criminal as a guy with a white fan and people would be like... I mean, fighting with a white fan is probably still pretty rare. <laughs> I, I guess so. I don't know. My only knowledge of this time period is martial arts movies. As far as I know, lots of people fight with fucking fans. Mm, but, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, but the anyways, the point is, he there, once the mistaken identity starts... It doesn't feel like a regular old martial arts movie that is good, but maybe not as compelling. It starts to feel like a fucking Jackie Chan film, right? right. Like the the silliness of the fights while still being amazing, which is what you want, right? You want there to be his spirit of whimsy and and um, uh, uh, choreography in the fights. Uh, but they're still amazing. It's never it's never like we're just being goofy. It's like I'm being goofy, but also what I just did is pretty amazing that I was able to pull it off. The for me the the, the of the early fights, the best example is fighting with that fucking bench. Why does the guy fight with yeah. a bench? He just uh -huh. walks around with a bench and then he fights with the bench. But it, it's awesome. Like, you know, say to someone, there's a long, there's multiple sequences in the movie where a guy fights with a bench. That should be marked, that should be points off. And instead, it's great, right? And then as the movie goes on, it still makes a few shifts here and there. Some of the fights are more serious than other fights. And, you know, there's a few moments that are just pure slapstick, you know, of silliness. But I was on board for all of it, Doug. I had a great time. And honestly, I had to go back and rewatch portions of the beginning because it felt like I had watched two different films. Now, yeah. I, I did I did break up my viewing initially. So it also helped to go back and, you know, not I didn't watch the whole thing straight through, but I rewatched certain sections to like feel more continuity there. But still, it's less that I noticed like, well, this part doesn't line up with that or that doesn't line up with this. It was more tonally. It just felt like the early script was more of a traditional martial arts movie that had less of Jackie in it, even though mm -hmm. the the actor, Jackie as an actor, is very present in the beginning. The, you know, the only place I really see him shining through as a creator is in that lion fight, and the rest is kind of whatever. And then all of a sudden, it turns a corner and we're getting full-on goofy Jackie Chan doing his thing, thinking he's the best, really balancing between, look how amazing I am, and oh no, I made an idiot of myself, which is great. I love yes. that he'll be he'll do something utterly amazing, and then he'll make a mistake and look like a dingus. And that combo is believable. Like, it's not just funny. It's believably funny, and that's weird. It's weird that his <laughs> goddamn three... He's more inspired by like Buster Keaton and the Three Stooges than he is by martial arts, and yet I'm watching it going like, yeah, I'm invested. I believe in this shit. And that's that's stupid. It's crazy that I'm sold so hard <laughs> on it. Uh, so, yeah, I thought this was great when it got going. But it really feels like, um, especially people who are coming to this maybe with less of a commitment than we are, you might sure. get turned off by the first, like, 15 minutes of this movie because it felt to me like it really had trouble getting to where it needed to be. I, I agree with everything you just said outside of the way that it's split up, which is – for me, it's the first 10 minutes is great because of that lion sequence. The, the lion sequence is really impressive. It's really, really impressive. But it, it you don't have any context for what the plot's going to be really at that point. Right. Then it's like 20 minutes, Liam, of melodrama. Yeah, no, that's right. You're and, right. You're right. And it's like, and no fights at all in those 20 minutes, right? I mean, there's a little bit of humor, right, with the prostitute coming in. and, and But I mean, that just leads into more melodrama. And we've seen melodrama in 
the movies that this is trying to imitate, those seasonal films, Snake and the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master, there are parts in that which are supposed to be very, like, sad, and there's lots of crying from Jackie Chan in those movies, but they are both clearly kung fu comedies. For a big chunk of the first 40 minutes of this, you'll probably forget that this is supposed to be a comedy, because nothing about it is funny, and it's, you know, it's not even trying to be funny, and there also isn't much kung fu, so you're really forgetting what it's supposed to be, Well, and and you're so, exactly right. And so when that kung fu comes back, and it's not just, oh, there's fighting again, it is, it is more goofy Jackie Chan kung fu than later Jackie, you know what I mean? Like, it is yeah. so just over the top, it's really him trying out some new shit and seeing if it fucking works absolutely that it's it's goddamn jarring man i really felt like how is my like i had an emotional shift and i went from i'm getting through it to i'm fully invested and uh it took me a second to realize oh it's because they're doing the, the thing they're doing the thing now that i wanted this whole time and they weren't doing it before and what's great also is that they don't switch back and forth it doesn't go Agreed. oh now we're hitting to the good stuff and then it's like oh now we got to get back to the boring plot or we need to get back to the melodrama once he starts hitting these these fights it's just a constant string of them for the entire rest of the movie and maybe yeah maybe there's some continuity problems but fuck that's no, nothing different than the movies that we've been watching so far i actually didn't have any trouble with like following the plot and understanding what was going Agreed. on yeah uh yeah i mean we're used to you know having a loose thread that we follow throughout and it, it all mostly made sense when it all kind of came together. I will say that I was surprised at just how long the final fight is uh, between Master Cam and Dragon Lung, played by Jackie Chan. Uh, that the that that goes on for like 20 minutes. Like the final 20 minutes is just one big fight. And it kind of feels like it's not really built up to. It's just like, I'm going to go fight the bad guy now. And then he just goes and fights him. And that reminded me a lot of, not a bad, not, not, not one of the earlier worse Jackie Chan movies. It reminded me a lot of the end of those seasonal films like Snake of the Eagle, Shadow, and Drunken Master, which just had one big long fight. You know, even in the location, outdoors, mountains in the background, it just looked a lot like the end of those movies. And well, maybe, mm -hmm, please, it feels like a direct ripoff too of Drunken Master in the yeah, sense, yeah, very like, much so. Instead of booze, it's opium water. Which, yeah. by the way, I'm no, I'm no uh, drug ex. I'm not a drugman, as you know. I'm not, uh -huh. I'm not a master of of drugs. But I, I'm just pretty sure that if you drank water from an opium pipe, you wouldn't suddenly be magical or whatever the fuck happens. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it it gave him some false confidence for a little while, but it'd be like drinking bong water and thinking, now I can take on the world. Yeah, it was a little a little odd. It de definitely felt like, hey, what's something that isn't alcohol we can put in his mouth? 100%. <laughs> well, I mean, let, let's talk about that a little bit. This movie is meant to resemble... Drunken Master and Snake in the Eagle's Shadow, but it does a lot of different things as well. What what do you think uh, reminded you of those films, and what was different about this movie? Well, as I said, the 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 only place where I felt like, oh no, we're doing uh, something that feels very familiar, is that final fight, and it almost feels like there hasn't been any seeds of an innovation pro you know there's a buildup in these movies we've talked about this to death but just maybe there's someone who hasn't listened to the other episodes in a lot of these movies there's an innovation you learn a new fighting move you uh discipline yourself that much harder you realize that someone's fighting technique has a weakness that now you can exploit there's right. some way in and this last fight as it's going and going i'm thinking what the fuck is his way in going to be? Yeah, yeah. This guy's just his kicking ass his ass. Destroyed. Absolutely. And even when it's revealed like, oh, well, his left foot is his strong foot, so go for the right foot. 
he just fucking can't. Which, by the way, there's some part of me. I'm really impressed by these moves and the choreography. Some part of me goes, just tackle the guy and start punching his leg. You know what I mean? Like, there's some part of me that's like, surely you could break the man's leg if you really wanted to. But maybe not. Maybe I'm being unfair. But there's some part. <laughs> I of do like, like the fact that there's a big part of it's like attack the leg, take care of it. And Jackie does try to attack it. And no, the first thing he does is the 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 guy who is actually a villain tells him attack his upper half instead. His legs are where his power is. And then he does that and gets his ass kicked again. He's like, well, you did prove that his upper half is also very strong. <laughs> You've discovered what many before you have learned. And his upper body is very strong. Fuck you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but I I I uh, when it when it became clear that he was going to drink something and that was going to you know give him confidence, make him less vulnerable to violence, whatever that's supposed to be at the end. There's a part of me that was kind of maybe not let down, but just thinking like, all right, I've seen Drunken Master, whatever. And so the, you know that that was one moment. But he, I got to say, the rest of the time, Doug. I wasn't really thinking of uh, Snake and Eagle Shadow, which maybe it's just me not making the connections I should have. You know, like no, I, not, I, not I think that. you're right. It I mean, it doesn't very, have any training sequences, right? I mean, that's no, a huge thing. Yeah, no, it's very much like, um, well, and this is uh, uh, from a plot perspective. This may be where the movie falters for some people, but I was so impressed with the choreography. It didn't matter to me, which is we're not really given a reason why these two random lion fighter guys are so goddamn tough, especially when the movie shows you before that, that the other lion fighter guys, none of them are tough. They can't fight at all. They can't even start a fight, let alone win a fight. And then Jackie and his brother are just two of the hardest asses in the world. Also, it's never really explained why his bro doesn't come help him in this final fight either, which is something I was thinking is, oh, the turnaround's going to be the brother shows up and their powers yeah. their powers combined. Nope, brother just never fucking shows up. As far as I could tell, that actor just had to go because he never shows up again. It's just they were like, all right, he's done. We got to just finish the movie. So we're just going to film this on a... He shows up again at the very, very end, but you're exactly right. Yeah, maybe it's just... Well, I mean, obviously they wanted to do something... That focuses on Jackie Chan, right? I mean, that's what they but they didn't again, want. This is this is another. This is a movie, by the way, that there's no doubt who the star of it is. Jackie is the guy when you watch this movie. But the only foreshadowing we get of the fucking opium water is in the fight scene where we see the opium can, and you think, "Is he gonna drink that goddamn water in there?" Like that's that's it. That's the only. There's nothing earlier in the movie where you go, "I don't know. Maybe if you had some opium, you might be a little tougher." Anything, nothing. It really feels like. You know, he says we start shooting before the script was done. I don't know that they finish the script till the end of the goddamn movie, and which sounds like a huge criticism. But listen to what I'm telling you. I don't believe there was a finished script until they were done shooting. Also, this movie's a lot of fun after the first, as Doug pointed out, 20 minutes or so, 30 minutes, whatever it is. Yeah, 30 minutes I was well, about, yeah. Well, yeah which is, sounds like a big burden. But I wouldn't say those first 30 minutes are terrible. No, like just, I said, the first 10 minutes, because it has that lion stuff, is really so good. good. So it's basically a 20-minute section right afterward right. that's a little tough to get through. Yeah, and it's it's not the end of the world. It's just... It's just kind of boring. It's just kind of like I was worried that this was going to be him. Here he is directing a movie. He's getting the opportunity he needs. He's just going to recreate bullshit that other people have done. Like, that's not what he's there for. But after that 20 minutes, it's so Jackie Chan, you know, and and not everything maybe works. And he talked, as you read, about how some of the things he tried, you know, were not always obvious or easy to do. Like, he talked about the the fan fight, which we'll get to. But uh, but for me... 
there's so much of what makes him amazing here in this movie. So goddamn early on that I it got me really excited, Doug, honestly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it really reminded me that like he'll do some serious movies later that are very good. I'm not saying he has to be a total fucking schlock for the movie to be good. But in this movie, he is a total goddamn schlock. He's a fucking clown. And it yeah. works. It's amazing. He sells it. He's the best clown. I want to follow this clown into battle. <laughs> it's so funny how stupid and inspiring he is at the same time. He's so Looney Tunes in this as well, which is that yeah. he'll be getting his ass kicked and be like, no, stop. But as soon as he gets the upper hand, suddenly he's got he's got he's like this cocky asshole about it. Yeah, he thinks <laughs> when he's he, the goddamn best. When he gets the guy's pipe and he's just like, oh, what if I do this? What if I smash it right here? Right? He just he's just such a great dick, which I think is an underrated aspect of Jackie Chan's character. I also realized something watching this, and it's something that we haven't seen so much, is that what makes Jackie Chan such a great performer as a martial artist, is not his offensive nature. It's not his moves that he's doing in terms of hitting and kicking, even though he can do that very well. It's really him avoiding being hit, right? That's where it gets really exciting, when he's using the props around to block other people from hitting him, which is why there's a scene in this movie where um, he's in the house of Sang Kung, who is like the uh, lead cop in this area. And we we meet his daughter, we meet his son played by Yun Biao, but he... um, him and Jackie have an interesting relationship, but he tries to attack Jackie with a sword and he's in the house and Jackie is like jumping around, avoiding getting hit by the sword, using all the different furniture in the house, which is getting destroyed in the process. And that reminded me so much of the kind of like the peak Jackie Chan type stuff. It felt like, oh, this is it. This is where Jackie's making that leap into a whole different style of choreography. And even though it's not that far off from what we're seeing in the rest of the movie, it really felt like a jump, like a real kind of, symbolic jump in terms of the work that we're going to see. Yeah, I I can completely agree with that and feel like, again, like you said, it's not that when he attacks, it's bad, but he's able to do so much just incredible things just trying to get out of the way, which, by the way, is what separates him from so many other performers who are trying to hit someone and have them believably fly across a room like Bruce Lee. Yeah, Everybody also, wants to be like, I, I punched you across a room. I like at the end of the movie where he's like suddenly an invincible badass, but that is not the draw for me. For no, Jackie not Chan. at all. Yeah. Well, uh, and even, even when I, he is an invincible badass, it's in a goofy, it's, he's a fucking cartoon character. Yeah. In that moment, which again, he has to sell by drinking drug water. It's not like, oh, my new style is I'm an asshole and I'm going to, you know, release a, a, a Bugs Bunny fight style on you. It's. Oh, now I'm high. Again, it doesn't make any sense. This is opium water. It's not like he took meth. You know I should I mean? mention that the, the, the subtitles say, the, do not mention the word opium whatsoever. They say that it's tobacco uh, juice that he is. He is oh, is that what it's supposed to be? That looks- I mean, that's what it says in the subs. I don't know. The, the implication might be that it's uh, opium. But, I mean, he doesn't do like the, like I'm high type thing. He just, I don't know why the fuck he's actually. <laughs> why would tobacco water make him do, that doesn't make any, I really thought that was an opium pipe. Like, I thought that was sort of the, the deal with that character is that. I just like. Like, okay, we need a new drunken master. How about if he does illegal drugs? (laughs) I mean, to be fair, they weren't illegal at the time, you know what I mean, in the the context of the movie. But but what's more psychotic? You drink this man's drug water, and then you you can take hits. Or you drink the goo from his tobacco. You know what I mean? Like, this would be like drinking from the hookah. 
there's nothing there. Like, you know, I don't know. I mean, you're right. Either way is is crazy. So I don't know why I'm defending one over the other. But to me, being actually high makes more sense than I'm filled with the power of cigarettes. You know, like that doesn't uh, yeah, make I, any sense. I mean, I think maybe there's a suggestion that it's just that, you know, he's continually throughout the fight talking about how thirsty he is and he's being given water right up until the point that the villain takes the water instead. And what he just needs is water he needs to be hydrated and then the the fact that he can withstand all of it at the end is just because no, he's he does angry. a whole thing no 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 i don't think that's what it is at all the water is what does it for him that's the deal i mean to be <laughs> fair we can have this discussion y'all because there is no dialogue to clarify he never says out loud <laughs> the pipe water's giving me powers you just have to watch what happens and decide for yourself what it is yeah i choose to believe that that's drug water and he's high that's what i that's what i choose <laughs> Uh, there's a number of familiar faces in the cast here, including Tian Feng, who plays the uh, master of Jackie Chan at the beginning of the movie. His, he might be familiar to us on this show because he was also, I believe he played the master, but at least he was one of the stars of Little Tiger of Canton, the 1971 film that we started this podcast with. A very familiar looking face. Speaking of familiar faces, we have Sek Kin in this movie as the uh, the that cop that we, I was mentioning just a moment ago, uh, the character Sang Kung. Uh, he... Of course, is Han from Enter the Dragon, the main villain of that film. He's a, he's actually great in this movie, terrific as well. We, of course, get Yun Biao. A lot of other familiar faces, including Lee Hoi San, who I remember mostly from 36 Chamber of Shaolin, uh, always bald in these movies, uh, and has a mohawk in this movie of all fucking things, as well as the tubby Chang Cam, who we've seen in a number of movies so far. Liam, any of these faces jump out to you? Uh, any, any, um, any of them stick out as performers? Well, I mean, of course, the, cr- the crazy cop, with the weird eye is that's that whole thing was ridiculous. And the part where he's trying to talk the daughter into sending the master to come and take care of this guy. We caught him. We need him to interrogate him when he hasn't caught him yet. That whole part was funny. And it's, it was, it, it was interesting because some of the wordplay in these movies isn't funny for us. Cause we're reading subtitles. Of course. That was one of the few times where I was reading a subtitle and being like, <laughs> like it was just funny on its own. And then, of course, he's being a, a caricature, which is funny uh, in and of itself. When it comes to actual performers, like, yeah, the the what is what is he, the fourth brother? Uh, that is it, Young Biao plays the fourth brother? Is that right? Yeah, I, I mean, the son of the, the cop. Yeah, 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 absolutely. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think he's great with that guy with the, with the bench, that fucking bench. Is um that whole sequence is unbelievable. I like how his father's like, oh wait, he can use that to fight. Like he's seen his son hanging around and playing with a bench, and it's like, oh, he was doing it for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then as soon as he's like so about his son helping him catch this guy, as soon as the son leaves, he's like, yeah, that asshole doesn't even talk to me. Like he's so ready to bullshit about the son with this criminal yeah. that he's so intense to catch. To know? the point that Jackie Chan bonds with Yun Biao's character yeah. over yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I like. Yeah, please. Go ahead. Oh, and then I was just going to say the fight in the house uh, after the bath is just hilarious and fun. But the best part of that for me is the daughter, the way that she's using the skirts. And it's it's just a point, for those of you who haven't seen it, she uses her skirt as a way to sort of hide what her legs are doing, which is utterly unfeasible. It's not a real thing, but it's fun in the movie. Later, Jackie Chan attempts it and is at first very successful 
you know, sort of copying her style and then can't fucking figure it out. You know, he just can't. <laughs> and I love that, the idea that, like, not only that he's learned from this well, woman fighter, but then it's pretty clear that he doesn't have her skills and he can't actually do what she can do. And that mm-hmm. becomes a source of humor. It's just a very Jackie Chan moment for me. Yeah, Lily Lee, uh, that fight with Jackie, you're right. The fact, it, you think that they would have used that as a way to set up him in the final fight, but the final fight is played much more seriously. I mean, we, it seems like we've really moved on to talking about the fights at this point. And there are a lot of them, not as many as I think in the last one we talked about, but they're much longer and more substantial here. And well, one of the let me, great let things, me just make yeah, a great no, uh, side note about that. I think we've talked, to the, I, I'm not trying to say that the stuff after that one melodramatic section is bad but the dialogue just doesn't matter as much the rest of the movie right like right. the performances really become about the fights right and that's not to say there's no acting other than the fighting but the fighting and let's not just limit to just fights but the choreography because uh, I guess it's a fight in the house, but it's also more silly at times, you know? Sure, and even yeah. the part where they're, like, taking the bath is very silly and yeah, yeah, slapsticky, yeah. whatever. That becomes more important than anything anyone's saying to each other, for the most yes. part. And I, yeah. so in that sense, I don't want to just talk about the, the fights per se, but that's where most of these people shine. And the one part that we're talking about that's so slow, it's because there is a lot of emoting through dialogue that, like doesn't work like the master jackie chan's master isn't really that believable in his anger it feels forced it doesn't make sense especially because you see that dragon sequence at the beginning and jackie is like he's you know what it is is that it comes down to one of those fraser-esque situations where why didn't he just tell this fucking master that his yes brother was the person who right that's why we lost he fucking a he cheated and b he was working for the other guys there's this unspoken thing where jackie loves his brother so much that he just won't like he will let everyone get their ass completely destroyed by their master uh instead of just turning the guy in even though he ends up getting uh found out anyway also the redemption of the brother is kind of weird because he never does anything to redeem himself. Like you nope. said, he doesn't show up to the nope. fight at the end. It's just like, look, just give him another chance. And I mean, he does kind of uh, prostrate himself at the very end, but that's like the limit of it. He was working with the criminals right up until that point. Well, I mean, the master even discovers the truth. Like, this is the thing, right? Like, we, we never understand why the brother does it other than he got money. And then when the master finds out that it wasn't that Jackie failed, it's that the brother betrayed them, he's mad at the brother, but he's also still mad at Jackie and everyone else's too. <laughs> yeah. And it seems to be, be just because he's an orphan. It's like the whole school's like, actually, we've hated those fucking orphans this whole time. So we're just going to turn on them. And they just keep saying it like, it's the orphan's fault, master. Why? What did you, I don't understand. Why are we blaming Jackie? For you this? also brought up a great point, which is that he's a shitty master because all of his students are absolutely terrible, except for these two orphan guys who happen to be honestly clearly even more capable than the master himself yeah it is a little bit of a strange setup maybe it does speak to the fact that they didn't have a full script or maybe some of the cut sequences well there's never we're never confirmed i guess we're just supposed to know that uh, a group of people at a school studying lion performance you know this this thing are also kung fu artists because when it turns out that none of them can fight the master is horrified like what have i taught you guys and i'm like you taught them to dance with a lion head. What are we talking about here? One is of them this... is like eight years old. What are you thinking, buddy? Yeah. Like, what is is this a martial arts school? Because there's been, and maybe it is. Maybe that's just a connection. It must be. There's only two people in the fucking lion suit. So what would the rest of them be doing? I don't know. The whole thing is just, there, there's a lot of assumptions 
that you're on board at the beginning that make the melodrama that much more confusing because there's not <laughs> really a setup for it. But then once again, we're being it sounds like we're being hard on this thing, but let's get back to talking about these fights because once the uh, actual like Jackie style fights start, you're on such a roller coaster of humorous and even like character defining action that sure. like. I don't give a fuck about the setup, right? Like I'm on board and it's only at the very end when I don't understand why the movie ends where it does that I am again reminded that we've been watching something that has a very loose narrative structure. Before that, I don't notice that there's, the narrative is weak. I'm just thinking about all the crazy shit I'm watching. How about this as an element of the narrative? As the fr big first big fight we see uh, after the first half hour is Jackie Chan with the fan, right? And he, we, he does that thing where he kicks the fan up and things like that. Really fun fight. And that is going to be important, right? Because he's going to be mistaken for his brother who uses a fan. After that point, he never uses a fucking fan again for the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's not his defining thing. He uses all sorts of other things, but the fan is not that big of a deal for him. But that's the other thing is that every fight in this movie is different. There's all sorts of different weapons. There's the bench. There's a the guy who uses a rope. Of course, there's a sword. But also, you know, the, the, the part with the Lily Lee's character using the skirt, it just is a lot of different kinds of fights. And it, it because it's so varied, it means that the one-on-one -on -one just, you know, uh, fists and, and legs at the end, it makes it feel still fresh because you haven't seen it a dozen times before. But I want to ask you, Liam, what was your favorite fight in the entire movie? I mean, I, as I said, I I was really impressed by a lot of the fights. The the that first bench fight. Well, let's just combine the two bench fights. Sure. So it's the first bench fight and then the rematch, both amazing. Just really yeah, yeah. impressive mm -hmm. stuff. But I just found the fight in the house where he's trying not to get chopped up after his bath so silly and fun that I just couldn't help but say that's my favorite one. Even though there's some really impressive moments in the other fights that maybe are more flashy and more traditional, like martial arts stuff, something sure. about the silliness of this sequence, just, I love it. And then, you know, when the daughter shows up, that's fun too, uh, in its own way. And I, I really like the way that she utilizes the skirts, but him using that pipe as a way to not get chopped. <laughs> it's just so goddamn funny to me, man. I just, I loved it. Uh, I agree with you. I think that's my favorite fight. I do want to mention one other thing, which is that there's a part in the movie where the brother character, um, along with the two bodyguards, they rescue that master, right? The guy who'd been locked down. When they release him and he pours all the water over himself, he then proceeds to just beat the shit out of everyone. And he's throwing sure, all yeah. of these wild kicks and they're flying everywhere. I really like that as well. Huang and Chick in that part is amazing, especially because he's so wild looking because he has, his hair is long and it's all unkempt and he's covered in like, yeah, he's like all messed up and he's just destroying these guys. And it's important that that scene is there because aside from that, we don't see why he's such a badass, right? I mean, he's going to be the main villain, but it's not like Huang Zhang Li in those other movies that we've been watching where he shows up throughout just to reestablish how much of a badass he is. He only gets one quick action sequence to show I am the king of kicking ass, and he does it really well. I also like that like the way that they show how strong his kicks are is that they have you know one of those fishing lines attached to the stuntman to, to fly back, and they use the hell out of that in, in this they sequence. Really and in the it's final really sequence. good, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's worth noting he's got these henchmen that are working with uh, Jackie's brother, right? And right. 
they turn out to not be that tough at all because the fight sequence with them and Jackie, not that, the, again, it's a Jackie Chan fight, so there are plenty of moments where they get the drop on him. But yeah. most of that fight, they look like assholes. He just makes uh-huh. them look stupid for, like, a 10-minute fight. He's just him making them look like idiots. And I got to tell you, Doug, it's pretty great, too. That's that's I, Again, I like tough Jackie Chan, but when he's – Making people look like idiots, that's also good. He doesn't have to be the toughest guy in the room if he's the funniest guy in the room, you know? Yeah, he really makes the guy in the, the hairy guy uh, that he has the fan fight with look like an idiot. That actor is Fan Mei Sheng, who uh, listeners of this show, he was in a lot of martial arts movies, but you might recognize him as the warden, the glass eyed warden from the story of Ricky, the guy who holds the mints in his uh, eyeball oh, and yes, then yes, explodes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, once, you, once you recognize that that's who he is in Story of Ricky, you can't not see it in his face. But uh, uh, yeah, that that's someone who just is there to show off how much more skilled Jackie Chan's character is. Uh, what did you think of, of those fan, like the, the idea that he took 50 or 100 or however many takes to get that fan, uh, you know, perfectly kicked into his own hand. What do you think of something like that? It seems like it'll become sort of a trademark of Jackie Chan's you know, style over the next decade or 20 years where he will just like, there is going to be some, you know, incredible physical feats that he's just going to do and do and do until he gets it right. I appreciate it as an indicator of his dedication to getting the thing done. I got to be honest, Doug, I don't remember that moment. Like it didn't stick out to me as particularly important. So the idea that he it took him that long to get it is kind of a bummer to me because I'm like, I think I remember it. I don't, I don't know. You know, like it's, it, it to me, in the long term, I don't know that it was worth that many takes. On the other hand, that just seems to be who he is, and and yeah. I don't, I, I as much as that moment might not have stuck out to me, if what he learned is you just got to do it till you get it, that's okay because I'm gl- that that has served him well in other moments and roles and things, so it's it's worth it to me, but. You know, it's not like I when you say that moment or I, or you read it uh, uh, in other places. I, it's not like I was like, yeah, that fucking fan, amazing. I'm like, I mean, I know he fought with a fan. There's some cool stuff happened. I don't know. I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't name it per se. The thing is, he's doing so many incredible things with that fan during that scene that it's hard to tell which one is more difficult than the other. They all look incredibly yes. difficult. Yes. He's sometimes you know throwing them through the air and catching them. I mean, it, it's. I uh, I went and got an animated GIF of it uh, just because I wanted to see myself and there's I couldn't tell between like three different moments which one was the most difficult moment I think I know which one it is where he does like kind of kick it up and he and it's a very kind of fluid motion that he's going for I think the real difficulty is that it's not just one thing that he's doing right it's in the midst of a fight so you do a couple of things and then you have to hit something perfectly it's it's like uh, you know like a dude perfect type thing where you do it a hundred times and then once it's all edited together it makes it look easy which I think is you know part of making someone look superhuman in regards to this. Liam, one other interesting thing about um, The Young Master is that after the villain is defeated, the movie doesn't just end. There's actually a scene afterwards, and it's also a scene that kind of, in some ways it, it, it defines how different this movie is than some of the movies we've had before, because that last fight is 20 minutes, and it's very, even though there's like humor because he has to drink that shit, for the most part, it's played very seriously because his life is in danger and they take that seriously. What happens after the fight is over? I don't remember. Okay. I will remind you. A, first the brother, his brother, comes back and he uh, for, he gets forgiven by Jackie's master. That's one thing. But the big thing is everyone's like, 
you know, Jackie's character, like Dragon, he's returned. Let's all go see him. And when they go see him, his entire body is in a cast. He's, he's in, in a the whole body. Ca- that's right. Yeah. That's right. I totally Because even though, even though he, you know, whatever he drank was able to, he was able to, to sustain, like, like uh, fend off all of those injuries. That wasn't long lasting. As soon as the fight was over, he realized that he had broken every bone in his fucking body, which I thought was hilarious. And you get this great close up of his face. Yes. Yes. While like uh, little bits of fight scenes from the movie all play around him, and you even get a full closing credits during this. I mean, we never see a closing credits in in any of the movies we've covered so far. It really does, you know, you know, knowing that we're only a few few movies away from Jackie starting to use those cl- closing credits for something with the outtakes and things like that. This feels like a uh, you know a kind of a transitionary aspect of the movie as well. I it's it's fun and. You know, it, in a very kind of anachronistic way, doesn't he give a peace sign at the end? Yeah, I think he does. Or I mean, he he even says something. I think, and it almost sounds like maybe it's his real voice when he says it as well. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's part of the music or something like that. Because we know that's also such a strange aspect, right? That we're not hearing Jackie's voice in the dub in in these movies. At least I don't think so at this point. And but then it's going to transition into a song that he is singing at the end of the movie. Yes, yes. It's <laughs> just like, well, what do you like? Do you like his voice or not? Uh, and actually, that does play into the one other thing I wanted to ask, which is kind of the last thing, the thing we usually end with, which is, what do you think of Jackie Chan as Dragon Lung in this movie? How good is he? How how close is he to the Jackie Chan that we most think about when we think about Jackie Chan movies? I mean, everything I have to say about his performance as Dragon Lung is what I have to say about the movie itself. It starts off with that lion fight and he's a little bit timid or whatever but once mm-hmm. it gets going it's great and every time you see him under that lion head they do he'll lift it up to get a look at what's going on and the yep. camera zooms on his face magical that whole melodramatic section is mostly not great uh though there's a couple moments where he's trying to help his brother that get a little silly that you know you see a little pieces here and there right but, right. One, but once the the mistaken identity happens and he has to start fighting these guys it's great and i and I, again i felt it all the way through uh and and really even though there are aspects of that last fight that are kind of weird he's really selling it and he really does the um he manages to show you that he's losing the fight but he's very tough. You know what I mean? Like, he, he can't get through this guy's defenses all the time. But occasionally he does. And even though he's getting kind of beat up, you kind of believe him as he goes over and he's kind of getting his shit together to go in again. And right. I just – I fucking love that, you know? E- e- even though I still don't know why uh, tobacco juice helps him out, you know? Uh, <laughs> it, it's still like his performance of it is great. And ending the you know the ending with him in that body cast is just such a funny punchline. It really works for me as as sort of uh, his a combination of his performance, but also his direction and writing. Right, like the, he this is this whole project is about him, and it sells a lot of who he is and what he's going to do. A lot of it is based around showing off his personality, and even though what you were mentioning is absolutely the case, which is that he shines in the fight scenes. All the stuff in between those fight scenes in the second half of the movie, he's really great in that too, right? He's great at the yeah. comedy. He's great at the interactions. I love that part where he uh, is covered in mud because he ends up in like the deep mud quicksand stuff. 
and um, Lily Lee's character is like, uh, you must you must not be local. Like it's some sort of, of play on words. He's like, you must not be local because you fell in the mud. He says, no, no, this is local mud. <laughs> this is called local mud that he's covered in. <laughs> but he's really good at just kind of, of, of showing off uh, his personality. And this is what this movie is about. In some ways, it's a reintroduction, right? Because he had those big hits. And then there were other movies that some of them were financially successful as well but they were not you know they were made before they were not what he was trying to do this is to reestablish who jackie chan is as a character and this might be the most jackie chan movie we've seen so far in fact it almost certainly is and it's also maybe the most jackie chan performance that we've seen so far so this is uh this is a good sign for what we're going to see going forward though what we're going to be seeing going forward on the very next episode is something very different completely different from what we've seen so far uh jackie chan is going to hollywood liam in Robert Klaus's Battle Creek Brawl, a.k.a. The Big Brawl from 1980, not just with Jackie Chan, also with Jose Ferrer and Christine DeBell. Uh, Liam, uh, we've covered Christine DeBell in a movie before. Do you know what it is? No. It is A Talking Cat starring Eric Roberts. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, of course, this is still a Golden Harvest production. It's, uh, you know, it's a real attempt to... Make Jackie an international star while he's also hiding out from those triads and getting that taken care of on the next episode, uh, Battle Creek Brawl. Liam, have you seen this film before? I never have. Uh, I've, at least I don't think so. I, I, well, I've heard of it under its other title, The Big Brawl. Yeah, The Big Brawl. I think is what it's most. Known yeah, no, I don't think I, I don't think I've seen it. Um, I know I've seen Cannonball Run, but I don't think I've seen this. Yeah, I've seen it before, but not since Jackie's uh, American Breakthrough in the mid-90s, because it was one of the few movies that with him in it that were available at like, Blockbuster and things like that. At that time, like 1995, 96. Sure. But uh, yeah, so on the next episode, I'm looking forward to it. I know that it doesn't have the best reputation, but it's just going to be so different, so strange to see Jackie Chan in a, in a movie like that, uh, that... And you know, there's lots, there's lots of information around it as well. And we can talk about the career of Robert Klaus, a an interesting filmmaker, uh, the director, of course, of Jim Cotta and Game of Death. Uh, we'll we'll talk about him on the next episode as well. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of We Do Our Own Stunts or our other podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, if you head to Cinebunks.com, you'll find the latest episodes of this show as well as a whole family of shows uh whether that's tomb of ideas about uh marvel horror comic books or twitch of the death nerve exploring uh psychotronic and cult cinema uh but if they want to dive into the archive if you're interested in uh, a bunch of episodes not just uh talking about jackie chan but all the various uh topics we cover head on over to cinemasmorgasbord.com where uh, our show is organized by the variety of uh personas that we take on as a as a two podcast hosts uh and cinepunks is on social media uh cine punx on facebook instagram and twitter and of course uh we doug are on twitter uh at cinema smorg s-m-o-r-g and liam and i are both on twitter still despite everything uh, liam is there it's crazy. At liam rules. It's crazy that's r-u-l-z and i'm on there at uh, at doug underscore chili that's t-i-l-l <gasps> E-Y. If you enjoy what you're listening to right now, why don't you provide us a review on your podcast provider of choice? Or, hey, even better, just tell a friend. Say that there's a Jackie Chan podcast out there worth listening to. Or even just check out some of our other podcasts over at cinemasmorgasbord.com or all the great podcasts at cinepunks.com. But for now, we need to take a little break. We're all exhausted. We need to uh, consume some tobacco water or whatever your choice might be. Opium we'll water be for me. Yeah, opium water for Liam. And we'll be back very soon with 1980s. The Big Brawl. Good night, everyone. Night-night.
Where I lay my way. 